of bowing your heads with me once again as we pray to our Lord for guidance this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we pray that you would help us today, that you would speak to us. Lord, I pray that you would make us ready to hear from you, ready to learn how you might form us as your people. May your word pierce our hearts. Lord, would you make ourselves or make us available to hear from you. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. There's an old saying that most of us already know. It's so old, its lesson is lost to how used and worn the saying is. The saying goes like this. The grass isn't always greener on the other side. We've all heard it before. But still, we live in Chicago. The first snow has fallen on the ground. And if we looked around all over the city, there's hardly any lawns, any neighbors for which we envy their lawns. We don't see much grass. So if we were to update this old saying, maybe we'd have to move away from green grass to internet browsers where we linger on other people's pages and posts. It's a strange world online. Rarely do we find true people there, just projected images of our best and most exciting moments. And that's not all bad. We often cringe whenever we see a friend treat social media like a diary and post personal shortcomings. The issue isn't that we should disclose more, but the problem is is that we forget that what we see is only what others choose to show us. So when I compare my real life to what others post on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, I'm left disappointed. Now one of us is probably thinking, well, I don't really use Facebook. I haven't used social media in a long time. Or better yet, I don't even know how to use Facebook. But as in most of life, whatever happens in popular culture is just a preview of what most of us do and think. You may never update your page or even own an account, but each of us is prone to become dissatisfied with our own status. One way or another, our status in life, our circumstance and situation is less appealing than that which belongs to another. So that's usually the place that we find ourselves. Many of us struggle to find contentment in our present circumstance. We find it difficult to find contentment in our jobs, in our church, and most especially in our relationships. Last week we learned that marriage matters. We learned that a husband and a wife honor one another and honor God in their sexual relationship with one another. And yet it is common for many of us to grow discontent within our marriages. We take our spouses for granted. We compare them to others, and sometimes we imagine what life would be like if we would be single. But as we learn from God's word, those who marry, those who are married, should honor God through their marriages. But that might leave many of us asking a very important question. What about those of us who are single, divorced, or widowed? Is there a word for the unmarried? Well, that's an honest question, isn't it? 
Many of us have been led to believe that if we are not married, our place in life is not yet settled. It's as if the unmarried are in a holding pattern, an awkward space between useful and usable. A space between real life and a life in training. So I think it is natural for many of us to grow discontent with our status as singles. So we become anxious. We become focused on readying ourselves for a future spouse that may or may not come. We lose sight of God's call on our lives. So how do, we, how do we deal with our insecurities and discontentment over our status? Well, if you find yourself wondering these, these things, there is a word from the Lord for us as well. It is really a word to all of us, but especially to those of us who are unmarried. So will you return with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where we will hear again the word of the Lord. 1 Corinthians Chapter 7, verses 17 through 38. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 38. Please follow along as I read these words. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all of the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his uncircumcision, or was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when you were called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman in the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for every person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you of that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, then... Let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and to those who deal with the world as if they had no dealings with it. For the present way of the world, or form of this world, is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong... 
and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well. And he who refrains from marriage will do even better. It's a long passage. The first part of this word from the Lord is this. Don't be anxious about your status, but understand it is your place to honor God. Whatever your situation, it is simply the context in which you are to live out your calling. That's what the first half of this passage says. Let me read a bit of it. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which the Lord has called him. This is my rule in all of the churches. Now, he goes on to talk about something that feels strange. It feels strange to talk about slavery and circumcision in the middle of this discourse about marriage and unmarriage, or those who are married and those who are unmarried. But it really shouldn't. It's as if this passage said to you and I, wait a minute, let's take a step back and think about this more broadly. Let's take a high view of our place so that we can be better equipped to talk specifics. That is why the first thing that is given in verse 17 is a general rule. Wherever your place, lead the life that God has called you to and has assigned to you. Now the rule is a bit of a setup. It disarms us. It reminds us that whatever our circumstance, whether we view it positively or negatively, our lives are to be determined by God's assignment and calling. Consider this, God has assigned you your place and has a particular calling on your life. And what is this call? It is our salvation. When someone places their faith in Jesus Christ, acknowledging their sin before God and their need for forgiveness, that person is called into a life of service and dedication to God. So when we become family members of the household of God through salvation, we become servants of God. We are on duty to honor and obey our master. Each one of us, if he has been saved, has been called. But what about this assignment? This is the part that becomes uncomfortable for us. You see, our situation is not an unfortunate circumstance. It is the place God assigned for us to live out our calling. And wherever that may be, it is a suitable place to live out our calling. Now, if it is a suitable place, one assigned to us by God, then that ought to change the way we think about this place. You see, this place, this situation is not cursed. It is not to be despised. It is to be useful. It is to be a natural environment for gospel living. Whatever the status, married, single, divorced, dating, widowed, whatever the status we find ourselves in, it is a place from which we live out our calling. Then Paul continues by giving two particular examples of social settings. The first has to do with the Jew-Gentile social setting. He asks the church, were any of you circumcised or uncircumcised when you received the call of salvation? It says, if you are circumcised, don't look to remove the marks of your circumcision. If you are uncircumcised, don't look to be circumcised. Why? Because these things are just social statuses. 
They're just the place from which you live, uh, from which we live out our calling. The Jewish believer lives out his or her calling as a Jew. The Gentile believer lives out his or her calling as a Gentile. Status doesn't matter, Paul says. What matters is our obedience to God. Before we can move on to understand our status as married or unmarried, it is important that we hear this again. What matters, no matter our place, no matter our status, is our obedience to God. Paul then gives a second example. He says, were any of you free when you were called? Were any of you slaves at the time of your calling? If you are a slave, don't become anxious about it. Now he says, if the opportunity makes itself available to you, if you can become free, take advantage. But if you are a slave, don't be anxious. Don't be concerned about changing your circumstance. Now in ancient times, slavery was connected to one's financial place in the world. Those who were in debt became slaves in order to survive economically. It doesn't take a historian to know slavery was not ideal, nor was it a place that someone wanted to remain in. It was a hard life. And that is at least one reason why Paul says, if the opportunity becomes available to you, become free. Still, many during this time would never have that opportunity. Many of those who were wishing to become free rather than slaves would never be able to become free. So Paul says, in spite of your difficult circumstance, in spite of the fact that you don't want to remain there, don't be concerned about it. Don't become anxious about your status, but instead recognize your place in Christ. Though you are a slave, you are free in the Lord. And if you are free, remember that you are a slave in the Lord. In other words, your status in Christ is far more important than your social status in the world. While singleness can hardly be compared to slavery, I hope you're noticing a connection between the two. For many of us, singleness is about as appealing a status as slavery is. Just as one would prefer to become free rather than a slave, many of us would, be, would prefer to be married rather than unmarried. Like many slaves, hearing the provision for freedom from Paul, many of us are longing for a provision to become married. We have to hear what scripture is telling us. Even if you no longer want to remain a slave, even if you no longer want to remain a single person, stop being anxious about it. Instead, recognize that whatever your status, you are in Christ. Nothing else is more important. Not your past relationships, not your present relationships, not even the absence of relationships. You belong to Christ. And that is the most important status that any of us can have. So Paul reminds us in verse 24, whatever your condition, whatever your status, remain with God. But this makes us anxious. And you know what the real problem with anxiety is? The real problem of anxiety is that it distracts us from doing what we are supposed to be doing. It causes us to lose focus. So that instead of focusing on our call to serve and honor God, we become preoccupied with the distraction of wanting a new circumstance. And there's nothing more dangerous than someone who is distracted by something other than what they're supposed to be doing. We've all seen this driving. 
there is a danger to the distracted driver. Now, Meredith is sitting in the audience, so I have to be honest here. I am often the distracted driver. I often have my cell phone and I'm changing songs or finding new podcasts to listen to. And Meredith often reminds me that this is incredibly dangerous. And it's true. And yet I continue to fool myself into thinking that these brief moments when I'm looking down at my phone, I will be okay. Nothing will happen. But that is the furthest thing from the truth. It is dangerous to be distracted. I might lose sight of where I'm going and might uh, end up going off of the road or I might not be focused on what I'm doing so that I harm myself or someone else. There is nothing more dangerous than someone who is distracted from what they are supposed to be doing. Many of us are distracted from what we are supposed to be doing by our anxiety. See, distraction is no small thing. It is not minor. It is a dangerous thing. It can lead us to lose sight of God and to veer off into a, into a place where we don't want to be. It can cause us to be distracted from what we're supposed to be doing and instead we cause harm and pain to ourselves and to other people. We're called here not to be distracted by this anxiety. Some of us are so distracted that we chase after bad relationships or we dishonor God in our dating relationships. But we have to remember that God is calling us to obedience. If you, are free, if you are free, you are a slave to Christ. If you are a slave, you are free in Christ. Honor God in your status. Now it is here that we can hear the word from God to all of us. And the word is this. Whatever your status in life, honor and obey God with your life. See, the first help we receive from this word is a charge not to be anxious about our status, but to honor God in whatever status we find ourselves in. But having been encouraged to do this in every circumstance, our passage moves into a very specific direction towards those who are unmarried. If your status is unmarried, it is an opportunity to honor and obey God. If you are single, you should consider how you can serve God in your singleness. Look at the second half of the passage, beginning at verse 25. Here I do want to read this whole thing. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord. But I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for you or for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you of that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, then, let those who have wives live as though they have none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. 
And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if he has passions that are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let him marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed, his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Earlier in this chapter, Paul gave a specific address to those who are married. Now he turns his attention to those who are unmarried, those in the congregation who are single. And while marriage between a husband and wife is a good thing, a good place to honor God, it is not the only place. And one could say that it isn't even an advantageous place. You see, contrary to what many of us feel and believe, singleness is a blessed place. It provides the kind of environment that allows the believer to honor and serve God fully. He says to the unmarried, I I, I don't have a command but advice. In light of the present circumstances, it is better to remain single. Like he did before he, uh, in, in the section, he asks a question. Are you now married? Then remain married. Are you single? Then remain single. Now, in regards to those who are unmarried, he is not giving a hard rule. It is not a moral issue, but an observation about each particular place, each particular setting. It says if the single person does marry, it is not a sin. So why then does Paul give this advice? Well, he gives this advice in light of the present circumstances. He says that in light of the present, it is more favorable to honor and obey God in your singleness. See, Paul makes two observations about the present time. One, it is hard. And two, the time is short. The church was living in the midst of financial trouble and hardship. And so Paul's concern about the present is, first of all, practically motivated. He says resources are in short supply. Caring for yourself is hard enough, and to care for others would be even harder. To increase one's financial burden in a time that is already financially burdensome would be unwise. But more importantly, Paul's concern over the present is also theologically minded. He says the present time is short. We, the church, are living in the last days. You know, it's hard for us to understand this because most of us live our lives as if time will go on forever. But we know that scripture teaches us that Christ will return. And though we don't know when, we wait anxiously until our king returns from the throne. So our lives are to be lived in anticipation of the Lord's return. That means that we value the things of this age in balance with our anticipation. So we must live our lives, whatever our situation, with the future in mind. This helps us to understand something that is difficult about what Paul says. Paul charges those who are married to live as though they are not married. And at first we might think he's contradicting himself. 
Paul has just told everyone who is married to remain as they are. And now it seems that he is telling us to live as though we are not married. That's not what he's doing. What he's saying here is that we, we live our, mar- our married relationships in light of what is going to come in the future. We value our marriages and we honor the Lord in them, but we understand that our lives will drastically change when Jesus returns. And so our plans, our worries become less significant when we recognize that time is short. So why then is a single person able to better anticipate Christ's return? What is because a single person is free from certain kinds of anxieties and is able to have an undivided focus on pleasing the Lord. Think about it. When you're married, you have certain responsibilities and certain things that you worry about. I worry about Meredith. I think about her work, about her health, and about her happiness, as she does for me. And that's not a bad thing. It's just a reality. And imagine if we also had children. In addition to being concerned about Meredith, I would also be concerned about my children, about their health, about what they're doing, about how they might be growing. It's not a bad thing. I should be concerned for those things. But it's just an observation about reality. The unmarried person has an undivided attention. He or she does not worry about a spouse or children. The single person is free to concern him or herself only with what pleases God. That is not to despise marriage, but it is an observation of life. It is an observation of this particular place, this particular setting. There is a certain kind of freedom that is available to the unmarried person that is not available to the married person. The the single person can have a singular focus on Christ and can be more flexible whenever opportunities present themselves to serve God. Several years ago, some of you know that I went to Liberia with Pastor Eric and we went and served alongside of Pastor Wilson. It was an incredible opportunity. Now we did this, both of us being married and Eric having children. And a few weeks ago I, I met with Pastor Eric and we were talking and reminiscing and he told me that last spring Pastor Wilson had mentioned to him whether or not Eric and I would be interested in going back that very summer. I mean two months turnaround. It was March or April, and he was wondering if we'd be willing to go in May or June. And Eric and I were laughing. We said, we would love to, but we can't make those kinds of commitments right away. We have responsibilities. We have families. We, uh, we, we would want our, 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 our wives to come, and so we would have to make sure that the schedule would, would not only work for us, but would also work for them. Eric has children. He would need to ensure that his children were cared for. Now imagine if one of you who is single, was approached about this opportunity. You would need to make plans as well. But the kinds of plans that you would need to make are very different from the kinds of plans that we would need to be, to be making. There's a sense of freedom that you have available to you. There's, uh, there's a way in which you are able to pursue the things of God in ways that we who are married are not able to. That is not to say that marriage is bad. That is not to say that we as married people are unholy or not devoted to the Lord, but there are the worries of the world that cloud our that, 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 that force us to be focused on other things. We do not have that singular focus that those who are, who are unmarried can have. Still, some of you might say, but I don't want to be single. 
I understand that singleness is an advantage. I understand that I can be singularly focused uh, to the things of the Lord, that I can be uh, able to be undivided in my attention to the Lord, but I don't want to be single. And that is an honest prayer. Many of us do not have the gift of singleness. Some of us do. Some of us can, without any real sense of loss, live the rest of our lives as singles. But many many of us long for marriage. And that is an appropriate desire. But it is a a desire that must be met with a commitment to the Lord. Yes, we can desire marriage. Yes, we can desire to have our status changed. But we must never lose sight of our attention, our devotion to God. I pray your desire for a spouse would never exceed your desire for the Lord. So if you are single and the Lord provides you of someone to whom you wish to marry, that is a good thing. And if you're able to honor the Lord in your relationship and you marry one another, that is a good and blessed thing. But if you are able to remain single, that also is a good thing. So whatever the situation, whether we are married or unmarried, the charge remains the same. Honor and obey the Lord. So what do we do with this advice? Well, first of all, if you are unmarried, you should view this, as, this time as an opportunity to serve God. Take the opportunity to enjoy what God has given you now. Singleness doesn't have to be a barren land of disappointment and loneliness. Find joy in the Lord and take advantage of the time. Develop habits that allow you to commune with God on a regular basis. Are you praying? Are you in the Word? Are you waiting before the Lord in order to sense His direction for life? Be bold. Ask God how He wants to use you during this special time. Do you know your gifts and your passions? If not, discover them. And honor the Lord through the use of these gifts for the church. Cultivate deeper relationships with people around you. Whether they're married or unmarried, take this time to develop strong relationships within this church. You are not marked as strange. You are not marked as, as, as not a part of this church. But each one of us together is the church. So develop your relationships here in this community. So those of you who are unmarried and dating or wanting to date, Honor and obey God in your relationship. Now is the time to honor God. Don't be deceived into believing that it will be easier to obey God in marriage. Marriage is a blessing, yes, but it won't change your heart. As we learned last week, marriage won't fix your problems. It will only highlight your character issues. It is a context, just like any other context, for you to honor and obey God. It won't solve anything. It just provides you a new opportunity to honor God. So if that is your place now, if you are dating, if you are uh, engaged with someone, honor the Lord in your relationship. Honor and obey God. If you can't honor God in this context, what do you think will change for you to honor God in the next? To those of us who are married, there are a few things that we must hear as well. It is easier and more comfortable to interact with people who live life in the same context as we do. Since we share more in common, we find ourselves gravitating towards those with similar experiences. 
that the church is made up of diverse people living out their faith in diverse contexts. What brings us together is not our marital status, but Christ. If we are going to be Christ's church, then we have to be the church with everyone in the community. Life together must extend beyond the handful of married couples we have common interests with. We must seek to develop deep relationships with our brothers and sisters in the church. Invite others into your homes for meals and fellowship. Learn from one another. Listen to the way in which God is using others in various contexts. All of us, married, single, divorced, widowed, if we have placed our faith in Christ, all of us belong as family members of the household of God. So whatever our status, single, dating, married, divorced, honor and obey God in your life. Don't be anxious over your status, but understand that it is the place God has assigned you to live out your calling. If you are unmarried, recognize that this too is a place to honor and obey God. If you are unusable, or you are not unusable, you are not cursed if you are single. You are blessed and have been given an opportunity to be used by God in ways that many of us can't even imagine. So take advantage of it. And when discontentment clouds your life, love God more deeply. Pray that your affections for Him would grow and seek to be secure in Him. Now this has to be true for all of us. Whatever our context, no matter our experiences in regards to our status relationally, all of us must seek to to love God more deeply. Each one of us ought to love God and seek to be secure in Him. We ought to seek to see our value and our our dignity in Christ. Paul said to the church, if you are a slave, you are free in Christ. If you are free, then you are a slave in Christ. Church, if you are single, then you are the bride of Christ. If you are married, your first love is Christ. Remember your calling. Remember that in love, God offered his son to die for our sins so that you and I could be reconciled to him. When we were strangers, when we were unfaithful, God loved us and was faithful to his promises. And now, whatever our context, whatever your status, you and I are called to love, honor, and obey God. Whether you're single or married, this is our call. This is our aim. Our settings may be different, but our calling is the same. Whatever your status in life, honor and obey God with your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us with this great challenge. To view our status in life as an opportunity to love and serve you. Lord, would you forgive us for the times when we have not done this well. Forgive each and every one of us, Lord, for for not desiring to love and honor you and to, to be the church together, to live life together. Lord, may our community, this church, be shaped by a desire to see you as our first love. Forgive us, Lord. Encourage us. Help us to be the men and women that you've called us to be. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.